0: Welcome to Martial Wisdom. Here you can listen to conversations on all kinds of topics related to martial arts. The topic for today's conversation is the realm of conflict. Joining me in this conversation is coach Tony Blauer. Before we start, I wanna share something I'm very excited to announce, and that is my Spirit Aikido online program now has over 200 videos in the library. In the most recent video set, I've released a series on self-defense entry for Aikido practitioners. These entries use movements which every Aikido practitioner is familiar with. What I share in these videos is a way to apply them in a way that's very useful for self-defense. If you'd like to support the show, please consider subscribing to this online program. There's a lot of content I know you'll enjoy. Another option is to contribute any amount you like through the PayPal tip jar. Even small contributions are greatly appreciated. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now, on with the discussion. All right. I'm very excited for this episode. Uh, I've got Coach Tony Blauer on. Um, do you mind if I call you Tony? Keep it kind of no, casual? Or- go for it. Excellent. For it. I, I want to thank you for taking the time out to, to have this discussion. Um, we don't know exactly where it's going to go, but where, what I really want to talk about is the, uh, the realm of conflict that martial artists often overlook or even take either take for granted they they don't know much about it they're uh maybe nescient or or ignorant to what the, that realm is and they fill it in with things like myths and and sayings and misunderstandings that sound plausible but are really not um so before we get started uh all on that i get i get excited about it but welcome yeah. welcome to the podcast and thanks yeah. for taking thanks the time. man
1: and that's uh you know that's um uh your your theme and the way you described it that's uh that's that's grounds for uh lynching um you know it's uh things we don't talk about you know in in the in the classical traditional sense listen fighting used to be uh even 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 full-on battle used to be very structured you know you'd We'd, we'd agree to meet at a certain time and there'd be bugles and ceremony and whether from tea ceremony to a samurai fight to you know a cavalry charge. Um, when, when combat was very ritualized, you could possibly entertain like defeating somebody, you know, just with proper training and technique and mechanics and you can get your, your myths and stuff you know built around that you know but but when when things got got like gutter gutter level like as they are now uh, a lot of that a lot of that goes out the window and it's the way listen i've been a martial artist my whole life i'm 61 now started doing stuff when i was seven um you want to believe that stuff. You want to, you, you read the old masters did this and, and maybe they did, but the fighting has changed. So, you know, if I said, Hey, uh, Tristan, you know, you and I let's go, you know, uh, you know, I want to duel you and you go, okay, you know, uh, you're going to bring the, 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 pistols. And, you know, there used to be like a second standing there. somebody cheated, they'd shoot. Like it was so ritualized that, the question that you bring up which is so huge uh it didn't even occur because you could you could maybe make it through the fight because of the rituals and and uh you know it's like biting isn't allowed in boxing unless you're Mike Tyson and then it changes everything in a clinch right uh, but this is a joke that i make that if we allowed biting in boxing for 2 weeks everyone would get bit and then they'd stop because we'd figure out how to adapt to that and that's and that's really anyways I'm going to go down 10 rabbit holes I'll let I'll let you yeah it's it's going to be real me in real me in there's so much to
0: this topic about conflict and about and originally I thought about this discussion taking more of a what are the realities of violence but then I thought about it and I realized it's more than just the violence part it's the conflict that leads to the violence that must be understood and because if you're if your mind is only on what happens when fists start flying, you're pretty much late to the game. Like you, in, in a real in a real situation, you are behind the eight ball and probably just about defeated. Um, and I think that that's something where, like the sport fighting realm, you you have that focus on, uh, technical precision on being a better fighter under, you know, the rule set, uh, you, you walk into a ring, you know, you're about to get into a fight, you know, the person that, that you're going to be fighting, this was scheduled out, you, you know about it. The, the reality of conflict is that conflict can be suddenly on your doorstep before you even know it, you had no preparation, you got up that day, you had no idea you were going to be
1: there yeah. in a it- conflict that turned bad and so it's, it's funny is- it's funny it's funny you bring that up because i just did uh this uh private military gig two weeks ago and and i for my uh part of my capability brief to their command i i did a new talk called violence loves speed mm-hmm. and um hang on i got a truck going by here uh uh and so the move it on uh, so the the whole idea of violence, loves speed, speaks to on multiple levels what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. When when we talk about uh, violence, is that background noise crazy or is it okay? No, it's not too bad. Yeah. Okay. No. Uh, when let me just close this door. Hold on one second. Sure. I think your audience appreciates the spontaneity and aliveness of this. This isn't scripted and choreographed, yep. right? Like real exactly. fights, not, not scripted and choreographed. Um, so violence loves speed. The whole premise here is this is there there's a bunch of factors. And I think that's what uh, a lot of people don't realize about my spear system is it's based on, on neurobiology and science and physiology and kinesiology and psychology. And I have intuitively followed those breadcrumbs since the 80s. Uh, and this is pre like neuroscience and, and that research which is only about 20 years old. Um, so that predates that by, by a full decade. And now I've got this eloquent language to go, oh, well, I'm myelinating the neuron by doing these drills in a brain-based capacity. You know, and now I can sound super smart, but back in the 80s, I'm doing the same drills I was doing in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And and you know, when we talk about the speed of conflict and where it impacts people, in the in the 80s, Tristan I was telling people, uh, again, not as as eloquently, but In the 80s, is when I created the panic attack, which became the high gear ballistic microfight. In the 80s, I took um, like the Frankenstein uh, uh, um, adaptation of equipment a little bit of hockey equipment, a little bit of baseball equipment, a little bit of taekwondo equipment, a little bit of Q Kushinkai equipment and created what became high gear, the force on force impact reduction suit. And it was in the 80s that I started studying. Uh, the psychology of fear instead of the biology of fear i wasn't interested in fight flight freeze Mm -hmm. i looked at that stuff as post-mortem i was like who cares we would say oh that person froze that person ran that person fought but we would only look at that post-mortem after the fight i needed i needed stuff before and during the fight so how did i improve pre-contact speed Uh, uh, pre-contact cue development because if I improve my perception speed I decrease my reaction time Mm -hmm. so I was like I was looking at managing conflict managing violence at a completely holistic level but also intuitively at this 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 brain-based level that said uh, and we ended up breaking it down and we have this whole uh, uh, presentation called the timeline of violence which actually speaks to your contention when you started off going, hey, you didn't get up today going, I hope there's like a like a sudden violent encounter on my doorstep. Like I'm sure hoping, we don't think that. So, you know, one of the distinctions that I make when I'm working with the military, with law enforcement, public safety, or martial arts experts, or the general public is, is I talk about this jack in the box moment that you're minding your own business and all of a sudden you hear clown music. That's a metaphor for something's off here our intuition is going, there's something wrong. And then all of a sudden, boom. And so you take the clown and I, and I, used, to, I used to bring to my seminars, uh, a little Jack in the box. Mm-hmm. And I would have somebody come up there, I go, so the clown's gonna pop up, you get ready, get ready to finger jab the clown. And then I'd start cranking it. And as soon as that lid popped and the clown popped up, the clown would always move before you could. There'd always be a micro flinch, and we'd go fuck right, and then <laughs> and then fire the finger jab. And I'd make a joke going, even though you knew this was going to happen, mm-hmm. a stimulus introduced too quickly will bypass your cognitive brain, and your reactive brain kicks in. That's the that is the thesis statement that or or the the the, the big the big idea around converting the startle flinch. But this all comes back to I'm on a crazy rant because I'm so passionate about this shit Um, to your idea of that. The, the, the the typical martial artist isn't thinking about the situational awareness connection to the internal dialogue and verbal of like, what's going on here. Holy shit. What I call recalibrating. Mm -hmm. Right. And you can, you can calibrate leading into a jujitsu tournament. An MMA tournament, a boxing match, uh, even even a street fight, where someone goes, "Oh yeah, fuck you, fuck you," back and forth, and then we go, "Let's go, let's take this outside." You're calibrating, mm-hmm. you know, you're taking your glasses off, you're rolling your sleeves up, you're squaring off. Real violence isn't like that at all. Right,
0: yeah, the, the, and it's that that prep time, I think that, and even the, the reading of the situation. And that's such a huge difference. I mean, there's been countless discussions about, okay, what's the difference between sport fighting and violence? And I think everybody kind of will admit there's a difference, but they often don't fully articulate what are the details of the violence you may get into as a civilian person merely trying to protect yourself. And I know at least within the Aikido realm, there's a, a lack of examination broadly over that to the point where the conclusion is well as long as you're not being a jackass or behaving poorly or starting fights you will be able to avoid them just by being a nice guy and i think that this is a dangerous myth in the fact there are a lot of nice guys that get their ass kicked
1: um one of of my one of my most popular memes is violence doesn't care what martial art you study (laughs) that's true Yep. right and so you know, it doesn't matter if you're Krav Maga or Aikido, it doesn't matter if you're doing spear or jujitsu, when it's on your doorstep, it's on your doorstep, it doesn't, and 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 we've seen in the last year and a half that nobody cares about, you know, doorsteps anymore, right, like just the shit happens anywhere.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I think about, uh, I'm a big study of strateg- strategists and, and strategy and in, and I go right back to Sun Tzu, where he said, "Know your enemy and know yourself, and in a hundred battles, you'll never be in peril." And the way that it, that martial artists often appear to me is that they get to know themselves very well, but they don't really pay attention to their quote unquote enemy or what what is right. their potential attacker, what is his mindset, how does how does he work, how do they work, how do they set up their prey if they're if they're predators? Because uh, you know, this is there's a difference also between the the guy that's had half a bottle of tequila and he just wants to get into a fight versus the one that's hunting like that's sure. actively looking for a certain thing he wants um and you know unfortunately they've got some really great i'm sure you've heard them the catchy martial arts phrases like uh, masakatsu agatsu the true victory is victory over yourself which kind of turns the eyes entirely on you internally studying your movements and your art and everything without comparing yourself to other others whether it's another martial artist or you know challenging yourself like what if a grappler wants to take me down do i train against grapplers or uh, that sort of thing um and and this is where i I, i was excited to talk with you because you've made such a study of of that realm the realm of real conflict and violence and i think it's a very necessary thing for you know we martial artists to bridge to experts like yourself who have have been in that realm and and made a a solid uh study of collecting what how it goes on what happens what how do you really navigate those waters without merely just relying on your your physical art to be the answer which we know is a bad answer just to rely on you know it's got it's got it's got
1: to be integrative it's got to be holistic and Mm. and it's got to you know um I think when I was trying to make my joke about us doing, having a duel, mm-hmm. you know, if if you show up with a, with a single shot black powder pistol mm-hmm. and you go, this is my gun. And I've got an, like an AK 47 or an AR or a Benelli shotgun or a flamethrower. And you're going, what are you doing? I going, well, I brought mine. And going, well, that's not fair. Well, like that's a 150 year old pistol. This is like today's gun. In sure. other words, if you're not, Looking at how technology evolves, mm-hmm. how violence evolves, how you know there's there's um, there's so many factors, mm-hmm. and the, probably the most important thing and not often discussed is fear, and it's a favorite subject of mine because you know I tell people if you can't manage your fear, you're not going to manage to fight. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you win or lose, but you're not going to be in the fight if you are mobilized by fear, and when you bump into a true predator, when you bump into somebody who's truly antisocial and asocial and comfortable with violence, it's fucking scary. And we we've all, you've all walked down the street and you're walking and then you see someone, it's a homeless dude or two guys that are part of, you know, you can tell they're part of some gang and they walk by you and you kind of like at a a behavioral level, you just kind of like give them, like like some wide berth, you move off to the side and you kind of look over as you pass. And you're not like going, oh, that guy's 160. Uh, He's a junior middleweight, uh, looks like he boxed. You're you're going, wow. Like that was your survival systems intuition saying, stay the fuck away from these guys. Mm -hmm. Um, And every single person has experienced that, but then we leave, we move on because it was so primitive, so primal. It's, it's not like when uh, you know, you're at a tournament and you're looking at who you might fight and you're sizing them up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, it's so different. And I draw this, you know, when I'm doing my coaching and mentoring and, and like the seminars, I talk about events like that where because they're so scary that we don't use them as a, as a, uh, uh, um, a stimulus point to research. What was that? Mm-hmm. Because the question is, if I had to fight that guy, I'm already so afraid. I'm afraid of the evil oozing off of them. But it's it's not a, it's not a cognitive conversation. It's just it's instincts and intuition. Sure. So if we don't explore that, and this is like 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 underneath Sun Tzu's, you know, maxim, know yourself, know your know your enemy. The superficial thing is I'm a boxer. Uh, he's a, he's, he's a boxer. I'm a better boxer. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's so superficial, especially in, in today's age, but, mm-hmm. but there's, there, there's, there's a, a million factors, but, you know, I, I've, I've been studying violence for aggression for four decades mm-hmm. and I can get really pedantic, which is a deliberate use of the word pedantic because most people don't know <laughs> what the hell it means. Um, and and, and and make people go, what the hell is he talking about? Get out of the thesaurus mm-hmm. and go, okay, what was that? Or I can make it super Ernie and Bert from Sesame Street simple. And, and so I'm going to make something really simple. These are the four stages of managing violence. The first one is situational awareness. If I have no awareness, I have no chance. Now I can unravel that and tell people like, What does that mean? Like everyone, every talking head says situational awareness, head on a swivel, left a bang. But it doesn't mean anything if that's all you do. If all you do is memorize the the fortune cookie, you know, you're still there, like reading the fortune cookie. You don't know what it means. So what are the drills? What does it mean to spot an anomaly? And then if you're in a situation where you go, oh, shit, this looks like I'm about to get mugged or, oh, shit, this looks like an active shooter or the ocean. Like if you've never thought about your contingencies there or what you would do, and, and, and it's amazing because there's always multiple options. So you can't just memorize one. Right. And, and so there's the four stages of managing violence, situational awareness, no awareness, no chance. The moment you realize that you are in a truly violent encounter, and I'm not talking about, I break this down into four categories. Uh, traditional martial arts. I can have performance anxiety getting my black belt test. Right, I'm in front of my, and like I've gone in to talk to, to martial artists going, hey, I do this special block on fear management. Oh no, no, we're good. No, thanks. You don't even hear about it? Yeah, we do fear management, our students. Oh really? Curious, how? Well, you know, when they test, it's in front of all the black belts and they've got to fight for this and they've got to do that. I go, no, not the same. Okay, but okay, you don't want to talk about it, fine. So number two is actually recognizing the fear spike because fear afflicts performance. In 1993, I wrote an article for Law Enforcement World called The Theory of Presumed Compliance. And in it, the most important part of that was this connection between our emotional, psychological, and biomechanic, that tactical trinity. How we feel affects how we think, how we think affects how we feel, both influence how and when we move. So when you look in what I talk about, evidence-based self-defense training, I'm looking at show me CCTV of people doing this in a violent encounter. And what you'll find is most of what we practice never manifests in a real violent encounter. And the answer isn't because the individual doesn't have the, the motor skills, the neural patterns. It's not because they don't know how to do wax on, wax off and all the movements. The it's, because it's because fear interferes. People don't understand the the, uh um neurobiology of fear and what it does. When a stimulus, when a violent, dangerous stimulus is introduced too quickly, executive function gets hijacked. Executive function is what allows you to access your complex motor skills. Mm -hmm. You're sorry, your cognitive brain. Your cognitive brain is where you store neuromuscular relationships, neural, the neural patterns to, oh, I'm gonna do this rising block and punch this guy here. Mm And you could have done that in a tournament. You could have done that in a certain type of fight, but when it's sudden violence coming at you, your reactive brain can hijack your cognitive brain. And if you don't think about that, that's a holy shit moment. And I tell people, it doesn't matter how good a driver you are. If somebody hits you, you're in a car accident. So that sucker punch, that sudden stab, that getting jumped is like somebody ramming into you in a car. It doesn't matter that you're a good driver. And this is that fallacy where martial arts go, well, I'm really good and I'll just do this. Well, if all it took was being a good driver, nobody would ever get in a car accident. Right. So it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting metaphor. And then the beautiful serendipitous element of the metaphor is that if I go to attack you and you're truly scared, however long you've been training Aikido will be, will be superseded by your body's primal startle flinch, where if you turn around and I was coming at you at a shot, you're not doing this. Your your hands are coming up, fingers play, covered ahead, push away danger. And so we've looked at that for decades, and, and now using the same car accident metaphor, we go your startle flinch is the equivalent of an organic airbag, mm-hmm. and it's and it's it's a, a wonderful serendipity. But
0: anyway, yeah, I do like that that the equivalent.
1: So let me just so i sure. I'm rambling here, but the four stages. Um, When you recognize that you're in real danger, you will get a fear spike. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of people in our our community has a lot of um, uh, macho type A energy to it. Mm -hmm. And that puts you in more danger, not thinking that vulnerability is is a weakness. But the reality is, it's when we recognize that we are vulnerable that we can begin to protect those areas and the vulnerabilities are emotional, psychological, physical. What are my art? What is my emotional arsenal? What's my psychological arsenal? What's my physical arsenal? For most of the martial art world, our focus is on the physical.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And 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 when some of the great masters say, you know, you know, you know, uh, you, know the, you know, to know yourself, blah blah blah, uh, you know, one's true self emerges, blah blah blah. Not making fun, just just <laughs> just trying to tell you. Like that's the spiritual self-actualization component to a lifelong practice of anything. It can happen more dynamically through martial arts because there's, there's, there's risk and danger and, 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 you know, but you could probably create a self-awareness slash self-actualization slash, you know, uh, organic enlightenment if you're a writer, if you're a painter, if you're a jogger, Right. It's just something you do every day, no matter what. And and then those moments where you go, I want to quit, and you keep going on, you discover resilience, you discover discipline, you discover, you discover mental toughness. And those are the hallmarks of self-actualization. But I digress. Four stages. I need situational awareness, no awareness, no chance. You can be the greatest fighter in number four, the physical skill set. And you go, I'm a black belt in every single coom and somebody sucker punches you. It's the jack in the box moment, you get surprised. So the fear spike is is what's left out of a lot. Everyone talks about self-awareness, but people don't talk about what happens at a physiological level, at the neurobiology level. So, but the fear spike needs to be managed because if I fixate on the fear, I don't get back in the fight. So stage three is fear management. Mm -hmm. Stage two, fear spike is self-awareness. Oh fuck, my state has changed. I've gone from parasympathetic to sympathetic. I'm vertically breathing. I'm reducing the blood flow to my brain. Obviously you're not thinking these things. It's just understanding what happens. And now you go, why are you panicking here? Why, why didn't you draw your weapon? Why didn't you throw that punch? Why didn't you block that? And then when you, when you decode it, interviewing victims of violence as I did for decades, you realize they, they ultimately, when you peel the onion, they say something like, I was scared shitless. I was frozen with fear. I, I was frozen. I didn't know what to do. I forgot all my moves. Um, so stage one, man. This can happen to really-
0: people with a remarkable level of training uh, here in this. Oh my God. That, yeah. Uh, I know that there was a, a great story from Greg Nelson, uh world famous uh, MMA sure. trainer you know one of the best martial artists in the world he said he he had a guy pull a knife on him and he grabbed the guy's arm and then forgot everything he knew about martial arts just because it was such a high
1: and, and kudos to Greg for being that honest he is yeah, one of the great, absolutely he's one of the great coaches yeah um and and that's what we need in this industry and it's one of the things so you know I work with a lot of self-defense uh trainers and coaches who through and it's it takes time listening to my no fear podcast or reading some stuff realize they've got a whole bunch of assets and tools they've developed but they're missing some elements some behavioral elements some connection to scenario training something in the fear management and 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 you know they they thankfully and i'm grateful for it come and train with us and i don't i tell them hey good information doesn't displace other good information right if you're if you're really good, you're still really good. You're just you know you're just missing something. Not a big deal. Right. Uh, it's having that that honesty, that integrity, that transparency to do something about it, especially if you've got people paying you to guide them and advise them. Sure. To pretend you know everything. So the last the last uh, stage there then is um, functional movement. So stage one, I need to have. Uh, effective, intelligent situational awareness. What is that? That means I need to understand scenarios. I need to understand attacks. That's going to change. If, if I'm a police officer, uh, that changes. If I'm a, a citizen, that changes. You know how you you know how you f- think and deploy movement patterns, if you turn the, ter- uh, the corner and there's a mostly peaceful protest with a bunch of people, all dressed in black with helmets on and masks on and, and and you know for you you're suddenly it's antifa what are you doing right That's very different than you come out from a bar and there's a, you know a guy leaning on your car like this and you're like, hey man can I help you and now like this might turn into a death match but it's you're not fighting 25 people with baseball bats right. um, So situational awareness isn't just head on a swivel. It's what are the likely threats I might face based on where I live and my routine, mm-hmm. et cetera. Sure. Number two, fear spike. Cause if I said to you, Tristan, I signed you up for this tough man competition Friday night. It's like keto versus some street fighting boxing guy. You're wearing 16 ounce gloves. You might go, I'm not going to do that. I have a spiritual practice. I go, it's too late. You're done. You're going, you're going, we're filming it. You're going to be shitting your pants because it's a fight. That's normal. That's what, that's what a lot of people don't like realize is like any, anything where you put yourself out there and you're judging yourself and other people judging you is going to create an adrenaline dump, which is going to be a non-clinical level of anxiety. Right. You're worried about the future. No shit. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm going to punch you in the face. You're going to punch me in the face. I have concerns, no shit. And people can't talk about that. Right. So I've got it. I can't coach you. And you can't coach yourself if you can't recognize your fear Mm -hmm. because you need to make fear your fuel, not your backseat driver going, you suck. Look how scared you are. And then, so the third stage is fear management, which is an entire art and science. And then the fourth stage is now, if I understand how to make fear my fuel and manage my fear, I can now direct my body to do what it needs to do, given these factors, If it's we're talking about real violence on this show, what I'm about to do needs to be morally, ethically, legally sound, right? No, and
0: Um, tactically sound, obviously. Yeah,
1: yeah. You know, but the tactical, not to sound contrarian, Mm -hmm. the tactical informs itself. If you have the inner calm to be morally, ethically, legally sound, Mm -hmm. so legally meaning force must parallel danger. If, if all I did, I said, hey, Aikido is really good, but you don't know how to break somebody's knee with a sidekick. So I'm gonna work on that with you for a year and I create the neural patterns for that. And then, and then you know, somebody goes, hey man, give me your bicycle, you know? Yeah. And you're like, no. He grabs your bike, Wah! you know, like, and you break his knee, somebody might go like, that's a bit of excessive force. It was like a 12 year old kid trying to steal your, your, your bike. You know, so you can have the neural patterns. I remember years ago seeing a video series where literally everything ended with the a somebody breaking somebody's neck. It was some, yeah, you know, some art. Do you remember that? I mean, I don't I, like there was I vaguely,
0: heard... but I mean, it's there are many arts that seem to have that. They want to take everything to that. I need to end my opponent well, well, and, well
1: yeah and and there's i'm not going to mention names because some of them were popular and some of them were contemporary mm-hmm. but in every demo somebody dies and i go like someone goes hey what do you think about this and i go yeah that's teaching people teaching people to murder other humans yeah no i like right. i'm not down with that right
0: i mean we do need to have an appropriate response not an uh an over-the-top Inappropriate level of response
1: to a given look. If you're practicing things that are like 92 punch combinations, 97 stabs, 97 strikes, 23, that you know, if 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 this is your head and I go, Hey man, rock! and I and I nail the guy here with a bottle in the face mm-hmm. and he goes down right away. Yeah. depending on what was happening, I still lacerated his face with a bottle. I maybe po- popped an eye out or cut his you know, his eyeball and in a litigious world, I'm responsible for that. Very different if I went whack and, you know, hit the guy with a back fist and he's got a bloody nose and I go, how do you like them apples? Right. Uh Um, Right. So it's, but it was the same biomechanic movement. In one case, I had a bottle in my hand that, that you're responsible for what you do, either, either in bed at night when you're staring at the ceiling and, or if it was filmed in this very, you know everyone filming everything world but for me it's the moral that's why i always say everything we teach is a moral ethical and legal's last Mm -hmm. it's got to be if you look around my website you'll see language like good humans good samaritans courageous bystanders because that's really who i want to talk to i don't want to i don't want to talk to street fighters Mm -hmm. i teach people how to not fight not how to fight
0: and that that was a parallel that i in seeing your work that i felt aikido is very similar uh, in that fact in that regard um people that, that study aikido do not want to turn themselves into fighters or monsters or you know a, a beast uh, type but we do i shouldn't say we because i can't say i represent all of aikido practitioners but to me it's about ending fights not indulging in them That's not starting them yeah. it's, it, we're there to, to control put an end to them as quickly as possible. Um, you know. And within doing that, you have to understand what a fight is. You have to understand how it works if you are going to shut it down. The same way that if you wanted to learn how to handle rattlesnakes, you learn how they move, how they behave. You, you can read, read whether they're agitated or not so you don't get bit. And right. if you know those things and practice them and, and learn them, you, you won't get nervous dealing with a snake, even though an average person would be terrified. Um, right you know that that's kind of how i look it sounds like you
1: have some experience with that
0: a little bit you know uh not with rattlesnakes but you know i can appreciate and this is uh, i think it it covers into that fear anybody whether they've seen a live rattlesnake or not if you hear that rattle
1: you will your your
0: body and and I think i think part
1: of that it was funny because i just posted today something about uh, caveman kung fu caveman karate caveman k man is I don't know if you read my Instagram today I did not I did not see uh, I'm not in, on Instagram so no you're lucky um, <laughs> but I, um, to, I craft it's, my it's, luck <laughs> yeah it's uh um man I, I wish I could I uh, this is not a, a good sentence because I could I w- but I wish I could just cut out all social media but it's a it's uh a, a way for me to communicate with people because everyone's on it it's, it's a necessary evil to to maintain and sustain my business mm-hmm. but um yeah i just posted something about this epiphany that i had where everyone's always going well what's the best art you know like if i'm on a kung fu show surely it's not aikido right mm-hmm. and if i'm uh, you know I'm mma it's surely it's not aikido and if i'm a boxer it's surely it's not aikido you know and so we all have an unconscious bias as we gravitate to the art that resonates with our personality and our beliefs, and so on and so forth. Absolutely. Having said that, um, you know, if we don't understand, it's it's like it's, this guy collects knives, this guy collects swords, this guy collects guns, this guy collects spears. Um, if part of your uh, um, collecting of these weapon systems also includes being able to protect your, your family and your property and your home, but you never practice that you're just doing, you know, archaic movements to, you know, then you can't necessarily transcend. You can't make that shift. And, but the biggest link is what I talked about earlier is that how I feel affects how I think, how I think affects how I feel both influence how, and when I move Mm -hmm. that connection is a very kind of poetic way to talk about the interference neurobiology has on movement patterns. So there's no such thing as, as muscle memory in the real world, according to me, right? Muscles don't have memories. There's neural pathways, right. there's neurons, you've educated them. And then you need to have awareness. Like if you go for a run, it's not because your quadriceps woke up and said, like you didn't go, hey, what's going on? My legs are my legs are moving out. Oh, I guess I'm going for a run, right? You need to say to yourself, I should go for a run for today. And then part of your brain says, now you don't feel like running, just stay in bed. And then you go, well, I got a fight coming up or I got to train, or i got to lose weight or no, this is my gig. It's a whole conversation while you coach yourself to put your freaking shoes on and, and, and go for a run, unless you're one of those freaks that just loves running all the time. Um, but, but I wanted to make a point to your listeners that there's, there's no such a thing as actual muscle memory. And a lot of martial artists say, well if i get just an attack like that my muscle memory will kick in if you don't have awareness that the attack is coming it it it, it doesn't matter so are are you releasing the video it, it, to your audience is just audio
0: uh, no it would, there will be video okay. yeah okay
1: so as an example if 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 you guys if you guys are watching me now and and i said to you okay so hang on i just got to adjust something and i and i said to you guys um you know what would you do if a guy presented a knife at, at you uh, what's the aikido answer if a guy sticks a knife at you and what, what's the typical answer tristan uh so you're talking you just looked away now look at the camera there's right a fucking now, knife now it's right throat. there right and now you're like don't fuck oh shit and i'm going don't fucking move give me your wallet now mm-hmm. but if you look back at the video when i said to you what's a typical answer you did this you mm-hmm. took your eyes off me you look yeah. up and to the right so you could visualize it that's our cognitive brain downloading a picture think of it as the software of the counter to this mm-hmm. when when that stimulus is introduced too quickly when the stimulus is introduced too quickly mm-hmm. hang on a second. and something else comes up right and now suddenly i got my cameras over here and now suddenly oh he's got a gun he's got a knife he's got a mm-hmm. our brain goes what the fuck what the fuck and it tries to download the correct movement right if if there's an emotional psychological glitch, we don't have direct access to the complex motor skill. And this is what I mean by evidence-based self-defense. When I look at trained cops, trained military people experiencing sudden violent resistance, we see primal gross motor movement. So I'm tying this to this post I made today about what I called caveman combatives that I said to myself, I asked this question, how did cavemen fight? Because how old old's the oldest recorded school of martial arts was that something in india three or four thousand years ago you're
0: talking uh, what a thousand years i think the first recorded uh uh, account of a fight was like three thousand years old so who knows when sometime after that they you know some sort of school of fighting i mean which goes back to ancient greece at least so yeah so so
1: so so get this the oldest spearhead is estimated to be about four hundred thousand years old okay that's fucking long ago now that weapon was used for hunting Mm -hmm. so i had this hypothesis when i was like putting the system all together is how did cavemen fight because clearly cavemen fought initially against animals Mm -hmm. and i found some old uh uh, pictures and depictions of cavemen holding rocks smashing things so look at the shape here Mm -hmm. You grab a rock with your fingers splayed your arms are outside 90 in my spear shape Mm-hmm. and they're smashing and smashing, and then eventually somebody figured out how that a sharp stick could do the job safer from a distance, mm-hmm. from a distance, right, jamming, and it's this cross extensor chain, and so I've got these old pictures of like from, you know, prehistoric, you know, uh, uh, times uh, of, of cavemen fighting off animals. Well, approximately 80,000 years ago, according to Whoever is guessing this shit, Mm -hmm. Um, modern man began to roam the planet. You know, food disappeared here. A volcano happened here. Uh, Ice age, whatever the hell, all this shit is happening, and people. There was convergent evolution, right? Different tribes moving around. So imagine, you know, we're sharing a squirrel and we're fucking starving, and we look up at a ridge there, and there's twelve guys in pelts like ours, but they're different animal pelts because they're coming from a different region and they got different long pointy sticks. And this is like the walking dead all of a sudden, right? right? And for those of you who are fans or are like, I mean, whether you like zombies or not, it's really good writing because what it's about is just how morally, ethically corrupt people get when they're scared or they're after power and they control the food and they control the safety, right? and it's uh, um, desperate kind of would like, be
0: another word you could throw in there too
1: when they get desperate yeah and 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 so, so i hypothesized that about 80,000 years ago modern man began fighting other modern men but they already understood how to smash things with a rock and smash things with a spe- and stab things with a spear do you think that first fight between cavemen tribes were doing like oh yeah no they're, no. they're not, they're not doing this sword form. Mm-hmm. And I make this joke, like after hunting and gathering school, did you, did you drop your kids off at caveman karate? Like I do this whole shtick where, where a lot when I do it live. People laugh. Um, I go, no, it, what it was, was primal gross motor movement driven by instincts, intuition, fueled by fear. And it was all, you knew that we weren't sparring. These, these people were going to kill me and eat me or kill my wife or kill my we we're fighting to the death every time mm-hmm. and out of that was this push away danger that's the impaling movement of a spear smash you at a rock and the 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 most powerful movement became this to extremity movement with my hands here that's the if anyone studied any of the spear system that's the basis of it and for people who don't know uh me first time listener um SPEARS is an acronym for spontaneous protection enabling accelerated response. It's the study of the startle flinch and how to weaponize it, how to turn that into a protective mechanism so that it 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 acts as a an organic airbag in a sudden violent encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. But anyways, I'm well, and you on. talked
0: a little bit about you know the like how how that information or how that those techniques would be transmitted, and I I thought of basically like Irish stick fighting. You, you don't see irish stick fighting dojos in schools and things like that basically grandpa taught you know the son or the, and or the grandson like here's how i didn't get my ass kicked in that last fight here's here's what right. i did and it was handed on you know right. from the son through families and and uh you know it's still around but it's very hard to find because it's not been commercialized it's not been turned right out you know, a system or anything like that. And there are different systems because different families had different things that worked and didn't, uh, you know, they purged out the stuff that didn't. And, you know, it'd be, I, I think this the, the way that it was transmitted worked very similar to that. And, and um, you know, it, it, they weren't probably very complete, but they did the function they needed to do. And they were probably right. built on very simple, direct things, which, you know, my, my own path of Aikido has been, to to reattach and refine those things that are simple, direct, powerful. And I actually found that same structure that I was even taught just applied a little bit differently, but I saw the structure that you described there, that same hands forward. Uh, We have an exercise that is built on that. Um, It's an interception and it works great. I mean, it's, I don't think there's much new to the game, but how we look at it is, important
1: because i i I think i think you're spot on with how we look at it listen um physics is physics you know the pyramids are this shape Mm -hmm. and that's why they're still standing had the pyramids been this shape (laughs) they wouldn't be standing they're this shape right so every single martial art has some sort of angle whether the hands are open or closed or or um and and so the engineering of how the body best protects itself or or recruits stability uh, can be discovered by anybody. I I think what's important is the original thesis of this talk is if you only practice the movement, like if my students only practice the spear position, the structure of the spear in a tactical sense, that knowing everything I know that I would, I would, they would still have a problem in a sudden violent encounter because I'm not connecting it to the primal gross motor response of the reactive brain. That's, that's really, you know, if, if somebody said, Tony, what's the difference between uh, the penjax dive, the Aikido, whatever, if you guys have a specific name for that, uh, the, this, this, you know, rising block in this japanese martial art um i just some guy just posted i think he was being a goofball showing you didn't invent this i had a picture of me doing a half spear Mm -hmm. and he posted a picture from his uh he's a gunfighting instructor and he's got like his hands doing that across somebody's throat and it's he says cross check the neck you know and and he's probably going look you're not the only one that does that because it was like it was a, it was, all he did is post an ad on my page. I was like, Oh, what do you, what are you trying to say, man? I've, you know, so I've, I've never said like, nobody else can figure this out. Mm-hmm. What's the most important part is the thesis of the statement is that if, if I said to you, you know, get ready to do that move. Mm-hmm. And then while you're warming up, I punched in the face or kicking the balls you know, or I go, ah, and you go, wait, what do you, what do you like? Or I go, you know, say hello to my little friend. And like, you're going, and, and now if a behavioral movement hijacks your complex motor skill, then the, your system didn't protect you, did it? Right. That's the message here mm-hmm. where I look at everything as evidence-based. So we need a holistic approach to understanding physiology, kinesiology, psychology. In the eighties, when I started like going what's this startle flinch holy shit
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um in one of my little musings I wrote this is behaviorally inspired and genetically wired that became like a little tagline I go this is all inspired by behavior and then I'm looking at 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 the you know at the genetic wiring of the survival reflex Mm -hmm. so it wasn't like this is a move in fact I tell people because the the actual the half spear which is one side or the full spear movement i mean it, it, like i can launch almost as much power with that as like doing a skip sidekick into somebody because mm-hmm. that movement done properly is like the split jerk of self-defense if you know right. olympic lifting it's incredibly powerful but it's the least practiced part of what we do mm-hmm. I spend more time with my students explaining, you need to do the primal to protective and the conversions, because the only time you will flinch is when you're surprised, which means your compromise, your, your situational awareness is compromised. So you are in the most danger. The gravest moment is when you're going, fuck, where did this come from? Right. And nobody practice. Total it. ambush type scenario. Yeah. And people don't practice that. They go, it wasn't like, if you surprise somebody in class, like they go do over. I wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, Hey, <laughs> that's right. Get wants, so, that's it. You know, uh, the bad, the bad guy is not going to, you know, uh, uh, send you a text message saying, Hey, this is what I'll be wearing three o'clock tomorrow at the corner of here. That's when, that's when the robbery is happening. Right. You know. So. Well,
0: and a lot of times those, those, if you'd call them predators, they will often search for the most unaware uh, target because they can, be assured that by the time they do their approach, that they're on their target before the target even knows they're there. Yeah. Um, and like you said, because they want to take away, they want to approach people with no situational awareness or no observation skills. They, they're And of course, the cell phone, I think, had to have been God's gift to predators. Um, sure. True, as it just totally brings somebody, their universe is that big. It's right in the palm of their hand and they don't You know, people who step in front of buses because they are so looked at, you know, focused on their phone and whatnot. Um, you know, it's funny, I, uh, I come from a sport fight background, so I've done a lot of live fights with opponents and reading a person, even in a, I'd say kind of sterilized sport fight environment, reading someone's intent and their body language is a, is a skill that, uh. I don't think you really get unless you are either in a real defense realm. And I've, I've seen, you know, of course, bouncers and, and security people are really good at reading and profiling people. Um, you know, the sport realm has got its own kind of way of doing it uh, because sure. you know you're in a fight. When they say, okay, it's go time, you know what's happening. And, and what you're reading is a little different than somebody who walks in and into a, you know, an establishment and they're there to cause trouble and you can see it. Um, right they haven't really it's not game on um but i think that's something that both of those are things that what i call academic martial artists the ones that focus on their the physical aspects the techniques the, the katas the the, pers- the physical precision reading other people is a very crucial skill and uh you know you, you when you have the number of live fights you can start to see when somebody slips into that zone of they're going into a serious mode uh, of they're wanting to cause trouble. And if you never notice that, I think that's the, to your point of that that the first one of that situational awareness. It's not just where am I or who's here. It's you identify okay this person is getting agitated or they're they are a threat and I need sure. to handle it. Um, and that reading people and profiling is is an important. Very important skill. It's
1: huge. It's huge. Yeah. And, and it's, it, it, that's energetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there are also pre-contact cues and sure. all those together. Um, and listen, like to be fair to any martial artists listening to this, that might be misinterpreting this. Like, are they saying like, I'm wasting all my time? No. Yeah, um, certainly not. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the metaphor I like to use is there's a difference between an architect and a handyman. And there's a difference between an architect and a carpenter. Wow. And if you're just playing with tools and getting good at tools, you're like a carpenter, maybe only a handyman. You don't understand the blueprint. You don't understand the big picture. And, and so it's one of the things, whether somebody's doing like my garage gym with me, which is just training with me virtually, or they're in a live class, or they're in one of our trainer programs, we're, we're teaching them the timeline of violence. We're teaching them the blueprint. So they understand, hey, here's what bad guys want. Here's what they don't want. Here's what goes on at a neurobiological level. Here, here's some thoughts on the psychology of fear. Here's what happens with the startle flinch. Here's your body's physiology moving. Here's you could so that you almost get this like like as an architect. I hire an architect and I go, I want to build a house here. I wanted to be right here, and he goes, Yeah, if you build it there, you have a problem because the foundation isn't going to support this. And they can see, you know, thirty years into the future when your house is starting to fall down this hill, and they can. They can and that's what we want is we to truly to understand the difference between true self-defense mm-hmm. and and just uh um how to counter this move, you gotta be thinking like an architect, not like a carpenter. Where you know, so I'm gonna I'll fix this by I'll brace it here and hammer it here. Mm-hmm. That's just the carpenter visual, right? I need somebody to go, yeah, I wouldn't do that if I were you. <laughs> and 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 be thinking and that this 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 metaphorically ties into what we call our three D's detect, defuse, defend, detect and avoid, defuse and de-escalate, and if push comes a shove, defend. And each one of those Ds has a a like like a, a spiral learning model mm-hmm. where it's like this coil spring under each one that says, well, you can do this and do this and do this. So each one of them has their own skill set. And think of it as a, as a, this holistic tool uh, 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 toolbox, and each one of them is a drawer, and they're all interdependent on each other. So you can't just have like great. It's like like uh, somebody who thinks like a like a social worker who. And you look at all the defund the police now stuff like that. You can't send a social worker in to to solve a uh, a violent encounter that's already in process, in progress. The violence already happening. You're not going to, at that point, you're not going to be going, hey, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Okay, stop stabbing me, please. Let's talk about this, right? So you got to understand this timeline of violence. And there's a time and a place for those those verbal de-escalation, behavioral uh, augmentation skill sets. And there's, I tell people this, like, you know, I remember one of my first scenario seminars back in the 80s I said, hey, the fight's gonna happen over here. And at the end of my school, we had this juice bar in the exit. I said, if, if you can break contact and run to here, that's the safe haven. That's a hospital, that's a police station, that's a crowd of, of courageous bystanders. And this, this guy, I'm still friends with him to this day, named Larry, puts up his hand. He says, hey, Mr. Blauer, no disrespect, but you know, I think we all know how to run. I think we came here to learn how to fight. And I said, Larry, the fact that you don't even want to entertain breaking contact and running tells me that your ego and pride might right, you know, might get you in a little bit of trouble. I want everybody here that if you can go slam and move and, and break contact and run, you, you need to train that. And so I summarized that by saying that avoiding violence takes courage
0: mm-hmm.
1: and diffusing it takes courage. And defending yourself takes courage and a lot of people think that that only the fighting takes courage but right. to control your emotion your ego your pride and go okay something wrong with that guy and like i'm i'm not gonna race up on his ass and give him the finger in my car that guy's nice
0: you know and that kind of is one of those things where and i like that you brought up the uh you know the the uh, counselor or caseworker, whatever uh, the term that you used was in terms of solving that violence problem. So and sort of, yeah. I think that, you know, in looking about how does a person, even an average citizen, look at why should I train martial arts? Uh, or why should I train to have to, to be able to fight if my, and they probably go through this in their head, like my, my awareness is really good. Uh, my de-escalation skills are excellent. I don't run around being a jerk. Um, so why should I actually do the physical training part? And I guess the way that I would look at that, if you looked at the, those first three as being your mental skills and the, the physical part being what happens when those, those fail, like as best as you can do all of your great things, do are, will those mental skills be as strong? If your brain says, I know I cannot handle anything in right. terms of physical, will it, will you be able to to bluff your way or will you be panicked enough knowing that you don't have anything to fall back on uh in order to uh when you're trying to de-escalate you're trying to do that verbal exchange that's hopefully going to extract you out of the situation or will you start to appear scared um you know to me that's a that's a strong question because if you're not confident in your ability how would you ever think that somebody could not read that on you if you're if you start to get that fear spike and your voice starts to waver, um, because you really are, don't have the physical confidence. Um, and that's not to say that, that, you know, somebody, because they train can run around and just insert themselves into physical fights, thinking that they're going to, you know, come out of them. I think everybody that I've ever trained with, whether they're martial artists or, you know, even people that are good at street fighting and, uh, you know, that like anything they know, anything can happen just because you get in a fight does not mean no matter how skilled you are, that you're going to come out unscathed It's best not to get into that. Um, right. you know, I think that there's, there's some wisdom there in, in, and at least for me, I don't know about anybody else, but the more I train to be physically capable, the more I realize, okay, I don't want to have to be physically capable, but if I have to be, I have good training to, to fall back on for it. Um, And to me, you get there by making sure and this kind of leads back to something we talked about about 10 minutes ago, which is when things start to go south, I want to have trained with attacks that look exactly like the attacks I would normally get, like they would be on that surveillance video of of kind of that crazy town fight type thing. I want that to be comfortable to me, kind of like handling the rattlesnake. If I handle rattlesnakes all the time, I run across one, it's not a big deal. Um, yes, you're still going to have the fear. You should definitely still be thinking smart. And this is where I come into uh, one of my uh, favorite uh, sayings was from Erwin Rommel. And he said that sweat saves blood, blood saves lives, and brains save both. And to me, that, is, that encapsulates the idea of no matter how much you sweat in your training and how much you know, blood you spill getting better, be smart about it. Don't be an idiot just because you want to run out and, and go
1: prove how great your training is. Um, right. You know, yeah, the, uh, deep thoughts. Interesting. I, I think the, I think the answer to your question or your observation is twofold. Look, there's a lot of people Your your, your shows probably listened to, listened to by people who love martial arts recreationally or professionally.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, most of the world doesn't give a shit about martial arts. So, so, but you know, in 1986, I wrote an article for Inside Karate Magazine. And one of the paragraphs was that there are more people, you know, who uh, get attacked and successfully defend themselves with zero training whatsoever, than there ever will be trained people who get attacked and effectively defend themselves. In fact, the opposite is true. There's a lot of trained people who get their ass kicked because the the predator is in their flow state and they're not moving. They're not moving uh, in a in a structured or or organized violent dance like like your sparring setup. So if you're not replicating, so our system we're very renowned for. ballistic micro fight which is a you know fancy word for the way we do force on force scenario training and we only use cctv and footage of real fights there's no sparring it's like you're a bad guy you're a good guy that's your rule look at this fight let's break this down and what we're creating is metacognitive uh, blueprints in the brain um so that you've got a a skill set that's addressing something so you said something interesting that that you know if you've got the emotional psychological skills but not the physical practical might you hypothetically appear fearful or hesitate or freeze or so my my research says it's individual that there are lots of people who never had any training who have who fight successfully in fact uh, an upcoming post I just was in my newsletter yesterday, but coming out this week, where I looked at the CCTV of train fighters getting in violent encounters and then video of untrained people getting in encounters. And the commonality was that both of them used primal gross motor grit, fear management to escape. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like the train fighter in this, in, in, in our, our, uh, you know, AB test, the train fighters did this and the untrained fighters did this. They all looked the same, you know, in, in the moment. And there was very little evidence that the train fighters fared better. And again, the caveat for people losing their minds listening to that's bullshit was it had to be a truly violent encounter started by the attack. It had to be a surprise to the cop or a surprise to this doorman or surprise to and and then and then shit would kick off um, but what i will agree with so there to me i got like 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 two populations what can untrained people do and what can trained people do if you're listening to this show and you are a martial artist um, aikido or any other art and you're not looking at real violence then that this is kind of heavy and deep and, and it's, it's it's a little neurosciency here. We all create an unconscious bias that is nurtured by practicing the martial art. We love there's, if you've been doing Aikido for years, there's no reason why, if I said to you, guy comes up to you, he's got his hand in his jacket, looks like he's got a gun. You're not sure, you know, um, you got you to gotta hit him and move, stun and run. What are you, like, you're going to go, what are you going to, there's no reason why you would say, I'm going to double leg him right. if you're not a grappler. There's no reason why you would say, well, you know, I'm going to round kick him in the head if you don't do Taekwondo. There's no reason why you're going to say, I'm going to hit him with a liver shot if you're not a boxer. You will say something from the Aikido arsenal in this hypothetical, because that's what we love. That's what we do. I expect my students to say, I'm going to spear that guy. I don't expect them to say, I'm going to do this, like, you know, this, this wing Chun move. Right. So because I talk about that and we do neural pattern disruption drills, I'll make people go guys, we're going to do this, set up your hands here. And I know they're already thinking about the moves we practice. And then I call another move and there's this glitch and hesitation and I go catch that neural, uh, uh, that neural programming because, and here's the heavy line. S- situational awareness is a conscious cognitive skill. Mm-hmm. You have no situational awareness if you're unconscious. You have no situational awareness if you're looking at your phone. You have no situational awareness if you're distracted. Now, the question is, if you're honest, if I'm standing in front of you and you're just standing here like this, right, and you get your arms crossed, and I'm going "fuck you, man," I'm threatening you. You're thinking, okay, when he moves, I'm coming up with this move. I'll deflect his arm and. Your brain is already trying. this what the brain does. The brain is looking at patterns. Right. So you're unconsciously or at a non-conscious level anticipating how you can insert an Aikido move. Mm-hmm. That is changing the accuracy of true situational awareness in the moment. Because my brain is now using energy and focus to go, when he does this, I'll do that. I know this is going to work. This is how we practice it. So true situational awareness is like, I look at it really different than, than most people. And I recognize the unconscious bias. So that was a, a long detour here, but to circle back to what you were, what you were, you're talking about is if you are a martial artist and you are making the contention that you are also practicing your martial art, not just for spiritual enlightenment, but so that you could protect yourself and your family. If you are not, analyzing how bad guys attack good guys mm-hmm. you're you're creating a a greater gap time between stimulus response so there's a refractory delay between stimulus response and i need that gap time to be as short as possible and if i'm not physically practicing something to go back to what you said tristan it's okay to visualize this and do the de-escalation stuff but if i physically have not you know you can read the inner book of the, the game the inner book of tennis But if you don't pick up a a racket and hit a ball, you have no sensation of what that is. So what we're, I think what we're both in agreement of is that, you know, I'm going to go, well, what are the ways I can get attacked? Does my system address that? Mm -hmm. Okay. How do I turn that into a bit of a scenario so that I'm emotionally, psychologically, and physically educating myself now that I know that I've done that, I've got more confidence and maybe even more respect to the physical risk that I'm gonna spend a little bit more energy avoiding it and deescalating it. Right.
0: Well, and within there, I like how you described, and I, I wanna stress this because I think that people like yourself, instructors that come from the real world violence or the often called combatives, things like that, tend to be viewed as, all right, let's just unleash hell on, on our attacker. Yeah, and, we love violence, and, knuckle-draggers. Right, exactly, and, and, and I think a lot of times Uh, martial artists especially from the Aikido realm tend to kind of turn their nose up at at that thinking that they understand what is being taught or shown or believed when in fact the belief is inaccurate. Um, I have yet to meet anybody in combatives that just says yeah just start beating on somebody's head when they disagree with you or that you know you feel it's necessary and and that's not true. In, In fact I think Uh, You know, if we talk for hours, we'd probably find very much agreement on: you do want to de-escalate, you do want to avoid. You you know, even before you get to a a a con a conflict you can see coming, just veer away from it to just avoid the whole thing entirely. Sure. And that you know, regardless of how some how vigorous some of the combative stuff can look like, um, the study of that is for when a situation is so dire that that is what needs to happen to get you out of it. Um, and, and where, you know, smaller, subtler things just are not, are not even options. And that's, I think, I think that's the reason for studies to have many options. Um, I know within, within Aikido and quite a few other martial arts are the same way is they get a little bit too complex, a little bit too intricate. They don't base themselves well on that natural instinct. And that's something that uh, you know, years ago, I, I felt was a problem. And I, and I worked with some very experienced people from, uh, you know, s- background similar to yours, you know, in real violence to say, you know, you, you can't count on any fine motor skills. It's going to be gross motor stuff. That's going to, that's going to save you when things get to that le- level eight, nine and 10 intensity, violence, ambushes, things like that. Um, and what I found was that using the same type of structure entry, you can use that, and then Aikido comes into how do you end it? Do you end it in a lock, a control, a throw, a pin, um, you know, or a shove and just beat feet out of there? All of those things are options, right. and and I think that that having many options—that's why we train so much—is to try to have, you know, the a good reliable response that uses the natural motions, and then to be able to have options for how to how to end it. Um, what would you say say about that
1: no i just yeah i totally totally agree i mean it's the uh you know the the you've got to have a directive that's mm-hmm. so, what you know you and your direct your directive needs to needs to be like my personal directive is i'll do everything i can to avoid a violent encounter mm-hmm. you know with as little violence occurring to both me and my attacker that gives me permission to run it gives me permission to use deadly force if that's what's necessary. If that was the least amount of violence necessary for me to go home safely, but it but it starts off with a very simple phrase, as little violence as possible to both me and my attacker, morally, ethical, legally. So I look at that. But you've got to, you know, if it's the old if, you know, all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail type metaphor. Like if all you're doing is practicing how to get out of a headlock, you only know what to do when somebody gets you in a headlock. You right. you can't spot it. You can't avoid it. You can't defuse it. You can't deescalate it. Yep. Um, so no. Um, and and uh, you know the 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 flow has to go from primal gross motor to gross motor to complex motor skill, mm-hmm. and that's probably the single greatest mistake most technical martial arts make is all their solutions to violence are complex motor skills, mm-hmm. not recognizing that if the, if it's fast, if it's sudden. If it if it hits you emotionally psychologically, uh, that's going to change your direct access to your complex motor skills. Uh, that's just neuroscience. So sure. you, you know you're you're kind of screwed if you don't investigate that.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I think that's the best way to put it is, is investigate it and learn about it, sure, um, and face it. Uh, one of the things, and you mentioned this earlier, and I wanted to include it in our conversation, is that of mindset and. This last year and a half with you know the whole virus thing has, has shown me that there's, and I've always felt that there are basically like three types of people that when they meet a crisis, they'll, they'll have one of these three types of behaviors. One is the, the, the deer in the headlights type. Like, so they just suddenly had no idea what to do. Uh, they want to have somebody tell them what to do, or you know they just aren't sure. They kind of just freeze and hang, and th- they're kind of clueless you mean like and half so, the world right now pretty much um, right. then you get the hysterical the ones that just start waving their hands around screaming if something really goes sideways you they're almost in your way to try to solve the problem or the crisis that's going on just total off the chain hysterical people I, I always thought that that was a pretty small number but after this last year I think it's a bigger number than I thought yeah and then the third type which is the people that shine in a crisis like they can focus, lock down. They put the, they're, they're still afraid, but they put their fear aside and they don't get into hysterics. They, they analyze, they realize that there's urge, a sense of urgency. They don't waste their, their focus or their thoughts. Uh, they lock onto the problem and try to solve it. Um, and, I, and I think with, with self-defense, the same, those same profiles of responses are pretty common. And so many of the people that have survived violence, you know, will often say the things like, I I didn't realize I was in such trouble, you know, they'll say things like, this can't be happening to me while they're just sitting doing nothing. Like, I can't believe this is going on. Um, And I think that that mindset part is is a huge thing. And uh, I'm not sure exactly right. how somebody changes it. Like, let's say they know that they're a deer in the headlights person where they right. can go and say, all right, how am I going to change myself into more of a crisis person than a deer in the headlights person? Um, you can, I think do it, but you have to put yourself in places where you're you're learning about dealing with crisis, practicing it, um, you know, being more of an adventurer and not just a uh, type of a placid living, sort of in a safe environment type person, um, and that has everything to do with that mental choice that you make of well, what am I going to spend my time doing? Um, but but the mindset, like you said, I think is crucial to what your success is going to be. And you know, I've seen many martial artists that they don't have the mindset, but they want to learn the physical tools, which. Like you said earlier, you can have the, some great physical tools, but without the mind to put them together when you need them, they won't, they won't perform. Yeah.
1: Well, well, part, you know, part of that is the responsibility of the instructor mm-hmm. to make sure like our stuff always has been holistic. Like going back to the eighties, we would do, you know, two, three hour talks on fear and fear management and scenario analysis. Like, you know, everyone's just sitting on the floor of the school. And we're just whiteboarding shit talking you know we didn't even do any jumping jacks or push-ups like no it's like hey this class is all cerebral uh, in fact when panther productions launched our, our original series in 1986 the first videotape was called uh, uh cerebral self-defense the mental edge mm-hmm. and and so you know and i and i say that because i want you know your audience to understand that Anyone who's trained with me has always had this exposure because I recognized that as the limitation in me and how I behaved. That it didn't matter how good an athlete I was as a wrestler, gymnastics, baseball, whatever, football. That when I dropped the ball, when I screwed up, it was because of my fear, performance anxiety. I understood the mind navigated the body, and I needed to figure out how to reconcile that. And a lot of us have this um, this idea that that we are good when we have no fear and N-O. oh not realizing that almost everybody feels fear. And some people, you know, you said a couple of times, you know, put it to the side, but I prefer to refer to it as, as make fear work for them because yeah, you can't, even better. you can't literally go, I'm just not going to deal with this now. Mm-hmm. It's like, it feels that way. Cause you go, okay, get focused, man. Boom. And, but what you're really doing is just taking the adrenaline of that fear and you're breathing into it. And you literally, so anyone not doing any intentional breathing exercises, you need to explore that because breath control is huge. It can help you regulate your state very, very quickly. Um, But, uh, you know, the mindset piece is everything. uh, And and I agree with you there. But I I, want to add that anybody can further develop who they are and become, there's, there's a million stories and books and movies of people who like should have been dead, should have stayed in jail, should have never escaped this regime. And now they're wise and successful or philanthropists or successful business. And they had the shittiest circumstances. There's a ton of evidence, but here's the thing. If your personal narrative is I suck, the world sucks. I'll never make it out of here. So, how do people do that? How do people like even? There's going to be a, like a bunch of people who've never, who haven't even made it to this part of this talk, because you and I pissed them off early, <laughs> right? I I said something or you said something and they got defiant and they went fuck these guys and they and they and they they, they tuned out. We're selective listeners by nature. Or we're control freaks by nature. If you don't have the self awareness. To recognize the limitation, you can't create the critical thinking to change the situation. Mm-hmm. Right? right? So if you don't have that self-awareness to recognize what you're thinking, you cannot create the critical thinking to change your situation. And so that's our our whole, everyone, everyone I work with, man, it sounds like I'm shamelessly plugging my content, and I am subtly. <laughs> but... This is, if you said to me, listen, I've been doing physical stuff for decades. I've created, I've worked with tier one special operations group all the way down to soccer moms. One of the only people that's ever been in a, in a a women's uh, shelter, teaching them, um, had all these amazing opportunities. We have gunfighting courses, knife courses, ground, multiple, all this stuff. If you said to me, what's your favorite course? I would tell you my no fear course, spelled K-N-O-W. It's all lecture. There's nothing physical. Really? Okay, if you could only teach one course the rest of your life, which one would it be? Would it be the multiple sailing? Would it be your tactical combatus course? Would it be the, it'd be the no fear course? Because if people can't manage their fear, they're not going to manage the fight. And this was a, a, a like an archaeologist, something I uncovered decades in. Where there was convergent evolution in it. My scenario based training turned into high gear, turned into force and force. The scenario gave way to the startle flinch. What the hell's that? Holy shit, startle flinch, developed the whole spear system. And in recognizing how some students froze and some students fought, it didn't matter their background. I went, I got to help them with that. Just that was me. And I come back to, you know, you might have, I don't know how big your audience is, but a lot of you listening to this don't teach the behavioral. Don't do the uh, replication-based scenario training. Standing up in your dojo and saying, okay, let's put on gloves and let's let's fight just to stress inoculate. That's good, but that's not replication training. Mm -hmm. That's not introducing the type of fear and decision making at a distance that we need to do. But all of this comes back to any change you want to make somebody's listening to this Tristan and they go, I don't like this guy, Blower, he's full of himself. I don't like this guy, Tristan. What's he saying about Aikido? Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds like he's criticizing Aikido. Screw these guys. Like your ability to hold an opposing view in your hands is like an old Fitzgerald quote, right? That the sign of intelligence is ability to hold an opposing view in your hand and weigh and consider it, I'm messing it up, but, and go, mm, let me think about that. Let me weigh and consider that. What can I learn? But nobody can do that if they don't have self-awareness. That's true. And so the ultimate skill that we can create and cultivate is self-awareness. Like if you don't know that you're racist or prejudiced or an asshole or a bad drunk, then you're going to say to me every time we bump into each other, so many assholes at that bar, every Friday night, somebody starts a fight with me and going, dude, you might be the asshole at the bar, right? (laughs) That's right. Um, but you don't know it because it's somebody else's fault, right? Because you don't have the self-awareness to go, why do I keep going back to that bar and getting into fights? So exactly.
0: Um, you know, and I, one of the things I also wanted to talk about that I, I saw you wrote up fairly recently that are, I'm not sure exactly when you wrote it, uh, but the idea of self-defense as a spiritual or holistic practice. And this is, I, I think, a very close parallel to almost everybody that that studies Aikido, um, they don't do it merely for a I want to learn the footwork and the joint locks and the, the throws. It it is a part of how they view uh, themselves. It's an important part, and you know, different practitioners take on a, a different flavors. Some of them that are drastically different flavors, but I think the idea of self-defense being a, a holistic practice. I've made that a part of my study. Um, And uh, the way that I've approached it is to try to address these holes that I felt that the physical art had. And one of them, you know, when you asked me about the knife, uh, one of the reasons I had to think about it was I had a huge crisis of faith with what I saw and what I was taught with knife defenses in Aikido. And I had to pretty much dump the whole thing and start with, again, with something that was, you know, I would trust more than I would trust what i was shown and and i'm not the only one there are quite a few other uh, aikido practitioners and instructors that have had the same experience when uh, i know josh gold at um, aikido journal got together with jeff imata you know who's was a very famous uh, knife martial artist Ener- and pretty much tore apart everything that that aikido did it, it proved to be completely useless and so uh you know, it's one of those things I identified it as a hole and say, like, okay, now we need to go fill the hole. Let's figure out what's the best thing that fits in here to do that. And the same thing with, you know, working on the ground or uh, situational awareness, how to, how to think on a strategic level, be observant. Um, those things are, I think, things a, a instructor who takes his, the development of his students seriously will look at and just say, it's, it's not acceptable to have these holes in the in what we're what we're training there should be an answer for that or i should be able to convey and educate my students uh, on these things um, so that's why when i saw you talked about a you know self-defense as a sp- spiritual holistic practice that that resonated with me
1: yeah the um sorry man there's people buzzing me going no next worries be- next meeting your next meeting yep. um that's where it gets to. When people first come to study self-defense, it's not about self-actualization and and you know you know we have a program called Be Your Own Bodyguard. It's a one-day course. It's taught with the exact same focus and efficiency as a first aid course. Sure. And and if I said to you, if you didn't know me and I said, can you learn self-defense in a day? You'd probably go, no. Who said that? Mm. Um, like that sounds ridiculous to people. But if I said to you. Can you learn how to put on a tourniquet, clear pathway, do CPR, mouth to mouth, uh, learn some basic you know, medical stuff in, in a day. If you know anything about a first aid course, not only can you do it in a day, you can do it in a half a day. And that's what paramedics and EMS people do. And so you can learn detect, diffuse, defend and quarter extremity, startle, flinch, conversion, how to push away danger and develop an internal directive. And, and one of the questions that, that, that we insert in the class and go over is, what would it cost you if you didn't fight back? And we get into this whole spiritual value connection of wait a minute, this is bigger than, you know, did I do this move right? Sure. In fact, uh, one of the things I wanted to mention earlier, but in 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 the traditional martial art approach to self-defense, the single greatest hindrance is this fixation on technique. Mm-hmm. And that your fixation on technique might be the 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 greatest cause of your inability and hesitation to get tactical because everything needs to be so perfect in your mind. And it's that, that hang on, I'm not ready. I was just writing about this this morning. How many times in our life do we say, hold on, I'm not ready. Well, those are famous last words in a violent encounter. If violence loves speed, hold on a sec, I'm not ready. You can be at the range, beep, hold on a sec, I wasn't ready, right? Like who's gonna beep you in in a gunfight? Right. right? Hold on, I wasn't, you know, you're playing with a knife. How many times are you cut by a smart ass partner? right? You're you're doing some stuff with chalk or markers and they go, you're you doing man. The drill didn't start yet. Oh, you weren't ready. Okay. Okay. Get ready. And this is the big flaw that we all make. And it doesn't mean that we should jump around like uh Clouseau in the, um, Kato. yeah, in, or even in the pink Panther. I was thinking, you know, right. how you would always jump out of the closet and attack Clouseau. Um, uh, so it's, it's a, it's an interesting thing. I think that the you know, our Bureau and Bodyguard course was for people who don't want to learn martial arts and they just want to know how do I get the hell away from danger as quickly as possible. And then we teach them how to fight using just primal gross motor directives. Uh um now someone goes, This is interesting, I'm interested in more. They get into more of a flow. Uh you know, we have had people i can think of a, a bunch of like women in our garage gym program who came in there to learn how to manage and look at violence during the last year they got really kind of nervous about what was going on in the world as they should right i mean you know while the 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 media has turned into a circus and has way overstepped their their the the, the bounds of even the best propaganda of the day. I mean, it's, it's atrocious where it's at. The reality is they're, they're still using images of real shit going on. Even if it's amplified, Mm -hmm. it's still real shit. And we should all be aware, detect, defuse, defend. So I've had these, these people, men and women, but a lot of women who came in just to learn this stuff thinking they were going to be just training with me for a month or two stayed in and now they're down 20 pounds and now stayed in and a year later they're uh, they're exchanging uh, uh, emails i got one from a guy in australia who used our fear management system to help a 16 year old daughter overcome some fear of a big math exam and he said i can't even tell you how grateful it is as a dad to help my daughter and pass on this. This is a life skill for her. And you're like, like that's self-actualization. It's not like I'm levitating under a a tree or in a cave, but somebody going, I'm a better parent right now and my daughter's better prepared. Like that's self-actualization. I got goosebumps just, you know, but that's where, that's where this goes, you know? Well, yeah,
0: I think you're right. You know, I've, I've, having taught some single standalone self-defense classes, both, uh, you know, normal ones and, and also ones specifically for women even did ones where I had some blind people that, that came in. Um, the, the great thing about that when they experience what it's like to find out what they're really capable of doing, that they're more powerful than they thought they were just because they weren't, they didn't know how to do it. And they, and they have somebody show that show it to right. them and they, they walk out and they go, that, that was, great that was a lot of fun because martial arts training especially as people watch youtube videos they think it looks brutal or or vicious or you know like it's not fun you're just getting beaten on or thrown around and and they often i think kind of just they don't find much interest in that and and like you said earlier you said martial arts really are not that popular but i think for those people that sample it and try it and realize that it is actually enjoyable getting nourishment of the growth of your own mind your body and your spirit kind of all together they they it resonates with them when they can be they know that they are a better person they're more capable they're more confident all of these things it surprises me that it's martial arts and training like this is not more popular and there's that there's more interest and i think you're right as the world starts getting even crazier maybe we will see some more interest um hopefully i think
1: we, i think we need to uh reframe and inspire a lot of instructors the instructors yes the instructors need to have the the capacity to share this stuff and that requires some uh again self-awareness and then research and not be afraid in the in the martial arts world there's a lot of that fear of like uh, i don't want to you know like this, this, this extreme loyalty to an art or a system that was created hundreds of years ago, when mindset evolution and violence were completely different, like your experience with the knife work, you know, back, back when the knife element of Aikido was developed, maybe it was realistic, because people only ever said, give me your wallet. And it was like, well, I'm fucking doing this, right. And um, maybe it wasn't, but, but it's, it's not the same and then anyway so i don't want to go down there a rabbit hole i gotta you know, we'll yeah go that up.
0: could be its own show like is yeah. is you know our martial arts get stuck as a snapshot in time and uh you know, i think to a certain degree they do especially Somewhere. for the for sure you know the eastern oriental uh eastern asian
1: because there's and listen there's nothing yeah. there's nothing wrong with it mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with it you know you can you can you know um you know, like those medieval games, you know, you can, you can go, wow, that's fascinating. I don't want to fight with a javelin and I want to do this with a sword. And you can do that for cultural reasons and emotional, psychological reason. And there is some transfer to the physicality of the violence and all of that. But if three guys break into your house and they've all got glocks, you running and getting your sword out of the garage, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or the room, you may fuck them up, but listen, you know, that rounds moving 1200 feet per second or 900 feet per second, depending on the caliber uh, you've got to understand contemporary violence. Yeah, I totally agree. So, well,
0: I think this gets us to a good wrap up point. Um, did you want to end with uh you know, any, any last words, any comments or no, man,
1: this was, this was fun. We got, we, we, we got spiritual, we got philosophical, we got a little technical, we got a little tactical. Absolutely. I think it, I think it's good. My only message again, I'm not knowing your demographics. Are they students? Are they instructors? Are they both is um, I think some you know, of both. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, whether, whether it's checking out the resources I provide or somebody else, it's, it's continually, um, looking at the things that you don't know that might be assets to improve, you know, your journey. And, um, you know, if you're an instructor and you're telling your students, Hey, I, we're, we're teaching practical, realistic self-defense and you're not, that's a moral ethical, even possibly even a legal uh, um, concern. There's a du- duty of care. Allowed. I'm telling people to do this in this crisis situation and I have no idea if it works right um and if you're a student listen you may love aikido or jujitsu or mma or boxing or any any art if if you should have zero pressure or guilt imposed or assumed on you for exploring other things that you think are going to make you a a better safer uh, uh father mother husband wife human um, and so, at the end of the day, I always tell people: in your fight, your point, you're the first responder in your confrontation. And then, when the shit hits the fan, you don't have time to dial nine one one. You you need to make shit happen right there. You can't call up your instructor, and 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 you can't YouTube what to do. <laughs> like things things have to happen. And I hope I tell all my students all the time. Hope I bump into you in ten years from now, and you go, you know, I never had to use this stuff. But guess what? You're tactically fit. You're more confident. You're more situationally aware, and and you're probably a better leader mm-hmm. as a result of that. Absolutely. I mean, that goes back. That goes back to what you said, Tristan, about you know, a crisis. You got like the, the, the people that are like, "Fuck, what do we do?" The people that get hysterical, and people go, "Okay, we're in a crisis. We got to get tactical."
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you know, it disappoints me when I see instructors limit their students by saying don't go investigate these things don't build bridges to other fear. experts fear. That, that can help you learn more and you know because i think every living entity is either growing or it's dying you, you yep. there's no hanging in the middle so you know always uh, to me go for the growth because the other one is not a very good option oh no, sir so well tony thank you very much this has been a great hey, conversation i uh, really appreciate you, it i appreciate your time and uh you know, we'll, we'll stay in touch. Yep. Thank you. You bet. Take care. Take care. Thank you very much for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this discussion. Stay tuned for more episodes. I've got some great stuff on the way very soon. In the meantime, enjoy your training.